Welcome back to another episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I'm excited to bring to you my interview with Margot Alvarez. A lot of you know her because she's been to the CrossFit Games six straight years. Pretty freaking impressive. But maybe you don't know a few other cool things about her. For example, she's a participant, a competitor in the world's long drive competition out there in golf. And she's going to talk about her best drives and how she's still working on improving that really specialized skill set. She was also a recent competitor on American Ninja Warrior. And maybe you know her from the Vineyard, her awesome, awesome wine. And you've seen the videos, pictures of her actually putting the work in, doing the grunt work to prepare that wine. Specifically, her new bottle, The Goat Wine, the greatest of all time. I highly recommend you check it out. Margot is an avid wine drinker. That sounds a little worse than it really is. Point is, even as a high-level athlete, a fierce competitor, she still knows how to chill out and have a glass of wine to end the day, something I very much can understand and like to do myself. I've known Margot for years, and I've been around the CrossFit competition world for years, and I can tell you this, Margot is one of the good people out there. She's always got a smile. She's always willing to sign something or hug a fan. She's just a good person, and I'm really excited to share this chat. It was a great chat, ranging on a whole lot of different topics, and I think you're going to love it all. Here's my interview with Margot Alvarez. All right, I'm here with Margo Alvarez. I always like to give a nice introduction, Margo. So I'm going to give it my best. But the, I think the most important thing the listeners okay. should know is you are the founder of the Vineyard. Correct. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, I'm making sure I was sitting. And we went back and forth. I made sure I said it right. It's not the Vineyard. It's the Vineyard. Yeah. The Vineyard, and yeah. You're currently a Las Vegas local. Correct. Uh, world long drive competitor and Ninja Warrior contestant and Probably most of the people listening to this know you from your six appearances at the CrossFit Games. Yeah. Was that right? Is it six? Yes. Yeah. Six years. Six years. Six consecutive years. 13 to 18. Yeah. And your goal, I would assume, is to get back this year. You're competing at the Rogue Invitational May 18th. Correct. Yes. Well, so this year, my focus has been the Rogue Invitational, um, which is May 18th and 19th. Um, That's going to be my kind of focus right now uh, i haven't really set sights for the games as a lot of changes have kind of un- unraveled along the way um so the goal has been spending a lot more time with the business trying to grow that we've done a lot more events here locally in vegas um, we're actually looking to do some events in the next coming months traveling to california um and then more local events here in vegas so the biggest focus has been the business and then obviously train for the rogue and then we'll go from there i mean obviously there's been lots of qualifiers and so people that if they take like take the first or second spot then it kind of trickles down so we'll see what happens well i definitely want to talk to you more about that but i i have a question i have to talk to you about from my wife she before we got on this interview she was in the garage doing rowing intervals and and she was like can you please ask her how she was able to maintain such a good pace in the marathon row compared to your half marathon you know five years earlier yeah, that's a, a great question. We've done, in my train, we've done tons of rowing, a lot of interval warm-ups, uh, long-distance rows, short rows. I think I've spent a lot of time in the rower, like, ever since I started training. Uh, and my coach, who's also my fiance, Alex, 
he's programmed a lot of rowing in and out, like warm-ups, workouts, cool down, accessory, all that stuff. So I've spent a lot of time. And I think if I accumulate all the time I've spent on a rower, it probably equals up to like multiple marathons on the rower. Um, but I think that experience in that time allowed me to get into a position where I could hold a comfortable, I guess, relative or a comfortable relative pace uh, for that marathon row. And we had talked about before that event, the goal was to go uh, kind of not all out, but pretty close to all out that first 1000 meters, see if I could hold that for the next 1000 meters. And then after that 2k taper into like a 208 pace I was a little excited in the beginning. I held like a 206 for like the remaining six, I guess like for another 6,000 meters. And then I, he came around and told me kind of to slow down. Cause I felt good, but it's hard to, Oh, how do you feel now? 6,000 meters in when you still have like 35,000 meters to go <laughs> 3,500, whatever it is. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of time in the war helped me give me that 208 pace. I was able to maintain for the majority of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were very drunk on goat wine during that marathon row. Is that true? Uh, <laughs> I was not drunk. <laughs> I definitely was looking forward to a glass of wine. And it's funny because after that row, uh, we went back to the hotel and it's funny because Pat Vellner actually listened to a podcast that he was on after the games um, that I was on as well. And he had made a comment about having me have a glass of wine after the row. And I was like, man, this is something I definitely was looking forward to after rowing, uh, sitting on that row for like three plus hours. I was like, a glass of wine is definitely warranted. <laughs> So, so I, I've judged at the games. I was there for the row. It was harder to tell, but I would say out of the 40 men, at least 30 of them peed all over the rower. What was it? Is it <laughs> now? It was harder to tell on the women's side because some of the men's pee was like bright yellow. It was obviously urine. It wasn't sweat. Yeah. It was not sweat. What was going on on the women's side? I, it was just so, like. Yeah, no, it's funny you said that because I remember people asking like in like the kind of the questions as the, but we were prepping for the marathon row, they're like, hey, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you know, what can we do? And Dave was like, oh, you know, the bathrooms are there. You go to the bathroom there, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you can't pee on the row. He's like, you pee on the row, you're cleaning it up. And I was like, man, like that's, I mean, for you to be able to go like on the rower, like that must be some kind of talent to be able to like row and like let your body relax. I don't know. But I heard after the fact that a lot of men did urinate while they were rowing. Uh, and I had heard from some judges that had been on the field that they were actually the ones cleaning it up, not the athletes themselves. And I was like, man, that's not cool. Like, if you pee on the rower, you should probably be the one to clean that up, not leave it to someone else to clean that up. For the women, I don't I don't know if any woman did. I know at one point on the rower, I just remember thinking, I feel like I have a bowling ball of, like, liquid and, like, goos and gels in my stomach that I was like, there's no way I could even go to the bathroom. Like, you're just focusing on rowing and getting done as much as you can so you can, like, finish and get off that rower um so i don't as far as i know i don't think any woman had that issue but i again don't quote me on that i'm not i'm not 100 sure well it, it like i said it seemed like the men were doing it not so much the women and yeah. yeah at the end you know the volunteers at the crossfit games really did most of it but some of the judges we were still there and we, we did our best to help out we had some gloves oh, on man. yeah that's definitely not not cool so you guys have to do that for so, sure I'm curious as to the benefits of wine. So I'm, I like to drink wine. However, if I go to the restaurant, they're like, what do you want? I'm like your second cheapest bottle, please. Like that's, that's, that's the way I do it. So first tell me what separates your wine and you know why I should order that, but then tell me 
some of the reasons I can use to defend my indulgence every night. So our biggest thing has been not that we're promoting that it's healthier wine, that it's, oh, less wine's better than the other. Um, our biggest thing is promoting the journey and the message of what I embrace and what people that are kind of along the same journey as me. So I'm going to go work out and I work towards my goals and I've spent four to six to eight hours in the gym each day. At the end of the day, I want to relax and unwind and I want to just kind of enjoy the process of, I just spent hours in the gym or hours on my career or whatever it might be. And so for me, it's like, I want to unwind with a glass or two at the end of the wine at uh, end of the day. And that's been our biggest message of promoting, like, this is what we promote uh, and a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's alcohol. And yes, there is alcohol. And obviously people will say, oh, well, it's bad for the liver. And it's like, yes, there there is that point out there. But I'm not saying go smash like a bottle or two or three and get smashed off of it. Um, I'm saying, you know, enjoy the process that you're working towards. And I think if you look at people out there, there may not be a lot of people that can relate to spending, okay, I'm spending four to six to eight hours in the gym each day, but maybe I'm working six to eight hours on my job or my career or school. At the end of the day, you want to relax with your friends or your family on the couch and eating bonbons or eating or enjoying a glass of wine. And that's been our biggest message that we want to promote out there that it's like, hey, have balance in life. It's about moderation. And I think I've gone through personal experiences with like family and loss and just points in my life where I want to make sure that I'm not um, taking things for granted and I'm not looking back and having regrets. And so if I want to have a glass of wine, I'm like, cool, man, this is what I'm going to enjoy. And that's what I want to promote. And so with our starting our business and now we're in our almost to our second year now coming up in July, that's been our biggest thing we wanted to promote is like find that balance in your life, celebrate with those you want to that you want to celebrate with. There's going to be struggles along the way, but it's like, let's unwind at the end of the day with a glass of wine. And obviously there's the health benefits like polyphenols, which has been found in red wine, um, which helps, helps increase blood flow. And I think um, obviously everyone has their own angle and I respect people that don't drink and then don't, don't decide to have any wine or have any alcohol. Um, but my message has been, you know, this is my life. I'm going to work hard and wind down at the end of the day. And that's something that we've continued to promote, um, not only with the wine itself, with our brand and our message. So, but you're getting ready for a competition. You I mean, we're yes. you know, on this call less than two weeks away. How many glasses of wine will you have on average a night? Usually one to two. Like I'll, I'll like, like not tap out, but I'll stop with like usually like two glasses. If I have more than two glasses, I just feel a little bit tired in the morning. So if I know, all right, if, my, if it's my rest day and I want to have more than two glasses, I'll have an extra glass, but it's usually one to two glasses. And then I'm like, cool. And then I'm, I'm usually done for the night and then I head to bed and I feel good the next morning. The biggest thing for me, I know is like, I need to make sure I'm getting enough sleep, but if I get enough sleep and I enjoy my glass of two or wine, one glass or two glasses of wine a night, I'm good to go. Okay. So noted, I can double my wine intake. I'm only having <laughs> one glass a night. Granted, I'm not training so eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, people <laughs> listening, I mean, you're training four to eight hours. It's not a matter of worrying about the calories at that point. If anything, you need no. calories. Yeah. A hundred percent. And obviously like, I mean, your body absorbs it and processes it. But the biggest thing for me is making sure I'm eating enough, um, getting enough protein, fat, and carbs in my, di in my diet. And obviously for someone that's not spending as many days or many hours, excuse me, in the gym, they maybe don't need to be eating as much. Um, but again, like I've met a lot of people along kind of our journey in our events that are like, man, like you work out and you still drink wine. Like I want to drink wine too. And I was like, Hey, like I'm not again, going at advocating like a full bottle or two a night, but the biggest thing we're promoting is finding that balance. It's like find what works best for you. Um, but enjoy yourself because tomorrow, once tomorrow passes, it's gone and you can't get that day back. And, and will you have a glass, even competition day? Like yeah, usually. In, yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. I usually will maybe have like, it'll be the last, will kind of be my minute from competing, 
um, the day before. If I'm, if I don't want a full glass, and maybe I'll do a half a glass, or I'll share with Alex. But it's something that I've kind of created as a ritual. It helps me relax and just reflect back on the day. Um, and the biggest thing, especially in competition, it's like you get nerves and you get stressed and you think of, okay, what are the workouts going to be? Or what is the workout? How is my execution going to be? What are you thinking? So it allows me to kind of disconnect from that a little bit and allows me to kind of relax before I close my eyes and go to bed. If you, if you check out your social media, it appears as if you're actually the like Lucille Ball stomping grapes. You were doing 300 pound thrusters with the wheelbarrows. Yeah. Is that real? Like you're out there when you're not in the gym, you're doing more training? Yeah. So during the harvest, harvest is usually August through end of September, beginning of October, depending on the varietal. Um, but yeah, when, I mean, the past two years that we've done that in 2016, when we took our first batch, it was probably 10, 12 hours in the field, like you're harvesting. And it's opposite of what maybe you think like training is in the gym, right? You have a short, fast, hard workout. You're like, no, it's it's going to be more like super low intensity, like 30, 40%, but then it's long hours. So you're out there picking grapes, harvesting, wheeling the wheelbarrows back and forth, loading the bins, loading the bins into the trailer. And we would probably do that for like maybe two to three days. And then we would finish everything up, try to go to bed early, get up early morning, like two or three in the morning, drive the grapes from Utah to Paso Robles. Um, and we did that the first two years in 2016 and 17. And so it was a lot of long hours. And so days for training back at that time, it was like, cool, I better get a workout in now. Because at the end of the day, after 12 hours of picking grapes and being in the sun, the last thing you really want to do is go into the gym and spend hours lifting. And I had done it in the past um, where maybe I'd get some lifting in afterwards, but I found it best to like work out in the morning, get some training in, and then go harvest. Um, and after that drive, it would be like a 10, 10 hour drive there, an 11 hour drive back because you're t- changing that one hour time zone. And so by the time you come back, you just kind of play recovery for a day or two and then get back out there and harvest the next batch of grapes. So what it was a lot of work the past uh, the past two years. Which is harder, the, the wine work or the gym work? Oh, man, I would think it's tough because I, I, I enjoy both. And I think, I think, oh, man, that's a good question. I don't think anyone, I've ever, ever had anyone ask me that. I think the gym work sometimes because you're in there grinding like it's more maybe mentally because you have to stay focused on like your times, your lifts and your weight and everything you're trying to calculate for. Whereas the, the work in the fields, it's, I like that physical labor and it's like, not that it's monotonous, but in the same, in the, in a way it is kind of similar day in day out, but it's something you can just go and do. Um, so I think I would say the gym work maybe a little bit more mentally draining than physically. So if someone buys, you know, a bottle of goat, there's some Margot sweat in there. Right. <laughs> Maybe not my sweat in there, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, we did the harvest those first two years and actually 2018, um, was the first year because we moved here in Vegas in June of last year. And so we've been here for almost a year. And so the goal this past year was to focus on building the brand and building our name within Vegas, which has been great. We've done a lot of events here, um, brought some friends down for the events. And so we're actually looking to do more this upcoming year with events here in, um, in Vegas, which is nice because the Paso Robles is in California, which is halfway between San Francisco and LA. And we'll visit there often. We'll go back there for any of the wine that we need to do or winemaking or um, bottling, making sure all that is set up. But uh, we'll spend most of our time here. But all that wine is made with love for sure. So what's the difference with this new bottle of goat wine that I see you talking about everywhere? Yeah. So uh, the our new vintage is a 2017. So second vintage of, 2000, uh, of the goat. The first vintage was 2016. 
Um, and this year, 2017, we've been promoting and kind of building the name brand around the GOAT, greatest of all time. And obviously that might relate to other people. Um, some people said, oh, you know, you should send it to Tom Brady. I'm like, no, we should give it to the Cowboys in Dallas. <laughs> um, but the the goal with this GOAT is we really want to focus on that message as well as like the greatest of all time in your sport or in your avenue or in your career or whatever endeavor that you're working towards. Um, and so we're branding that as, you know, whatever the greatest of all time is for you, this is what you want to celebrate with, is with this wine. And so we actually source the goat's wine, this goat's wine from uh, Paso Robles, which is a red blend. So I'm not sure what kind of wine you typically drink or your wife typically drinks this, this, or whatever this, another typically drinks. The sweetest one I can get my hands on. The sweetest one. <laughs> yeah, so this one, I would say this one, the 2017 is a little jammier. I think of like a dark strawberry, like fruit forward wine. Um, it's like has high tannins, which means it's a stronger blend or stronger wine, but it has a smooth finish. It doesn't have a lot of acidity um, or that alcohol taste on that tongue where kind of it saturates on the tongue a little bit. So this one's really smooth and that's what we're promoting. And we, this is the wine we actually got into the 2016 and the 2017. We got into Total Wine, which is a liquor store, and we got it into Las Vegas and actually at Corey's, which is a fine wine liquor store here in Vegas. So that's been the one we've been promoting and branding and uh, pushing out there. The goal is to get it into distribution on the East Coast, in the Midwest, on the West Coast. And we're actually working with a couple of distributors to hopefully bring it into Texas, uh, D.C., Ohio, and um, and multiple locations in California, like the San Diego area. Yeah, so. very cool to see you guys expanding. I'll, um, I'll have yeah. to send a bottle. My aunt was a, she worked for Food and Wine Magazine, so she knows that. Oh, stuff. really? Yeah, a whole That's lot more awesome. than I do. But I'm excited to to check that out. Now you mentioned totally. earlier, obviously there's a big change in the, in the games. What's your brief thoughts on that from a competitor standpoint? I think there's a, I mean, there's been a lot of changes and I think this is kind of like the trial year in a way, because we don't really know what's going to come. Um, obviously the open happened already this past February, March, I think the open to come and someone actually asked me on Instagram the other day, you know, how's the open going to be in February? I'm like, it's going to be tough because it's, literally like two, three months after the games. And so I feel like this year is going to be a trial year to see, all right, how do the, how does the games unfold? How does it work with a huge increase of athletes going to the games? You have obviously the top 20 in the open, then you have all the sanctional winners. Then you have all the national champions from each country that has an affiliate in there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds um, with an increase of people at that comp competition uh, in that competitive field. So, I mean, I know they've said, you know, we'll, do a, a bigger elimination from the first couple of days to the last couple of days. So I feel like this is going to be a huge trial. You're going to see what happens. And I think there'll be, I know some events that said, Hey, we'll be coming in 2020, but I think this is, we'll be laying the groundwork to see like what works, what doesn't work. Um, how's the flow been with events, number of competitors, uh, number of attendees, people signing up for online qualifiers. And I think the timing is going to be interesting to see how it works out going forward. Meaning, October of this past year, there was a Dubai qualifier, uh, multiple other qualifiers, Waterpalooza qualifier. Those all happened, I think, within the same same three weeks in October. So if that's happening, and then the new Open is going to happen in October as well, like how are people going to balance that? I don't know if it's going to have to be people going to have to pick and choose one, or can they do all two or three? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. And I think we won't really be able to tell until we get closer to that point. Yeah, I agree. People are just speculating at this point, right? It's yeah. No one knows. We'll see what happens at the games this year, and we'll see what happens with all those sanctions events. Yeah, because I remember at one point, like you said, a few were going. All the qualifiers were going on, and people were trying to do multiple, which was a challenge. 
This, yeah. this will be your only sanctional event this year? Correct. Yeah, this will be the only sanctional event. So the Rogue Fitness will be my only one. Uh, I'll focus on that one. And then um, I'll shift my focus about two weeks after that, three weeks after that. I'm doing another world long drive competition uh, in New Jersey. So I'll be shifting back into the, the golf focus after that. I'll still be training, but it'll be a different type of training specific towards speed and power to focus on my golf swing. So if you qualify though, will you still alter your training for the long drive? Um, we'll see. It's to be determined. I think right now, um, kind of to see, see how, kind of to see how everything unfolds and works out. Um, so we'll see, maybe things will change. I know I definitely will continue to train. I love being in the gym. I love feeling good. I love being strong. I love working towards my goals. And I think I've always been physically active in some sort. So I know I'll constantly train, but I think the training will just change. So we'll see what happens after Rogue. Um, and I definitely, the World Long Drive has multiple events uh, throughout the summer. So I know I'll still be training for that. So we'll see how that works with uh, once uh, May 18th and 19th are finished. <laughs> how does the training change if you do go into your full mode for Long Drive? Uh, for long drive, I'd be spending a lot more time at the golf course versus being in the gym. So right now I'm spending like four to six, seven hours in the gym training. Um, I, instead of doing that many hours at the gym, I'd probably cut it back to, I'd like to get back into group classes because I love the community within CrossFit. It's been amazing. Um, I love getting to talk to people and like share experiences with them. So I would for sure cut back the amount of hours I'm doing on my own, drop into a class and then maybe do one to two hours at the most after and then spend more time in the course. So right now it's like I'm spending maybe an hour hitting balls, which is fine because I'm just focusing on my one swing. I'm just focusing on long drive versus chipping and putting on short irons. Um, so I would probably increase that time maybe instead of once a week to like two or three times a week at the range and spending maybe two hours hitting balls, working on technique and working on my swing um, to refine it. So, cause I can do a lot of strength training in the gym and that's great, but I to actually get better at the swing action to practice the swing. That makes sense. To be good at something specific, you need to train specifically, <laughs> yeah. right? So exactly. You said something interesting in there, though. You said, you know, you look forward to getting back to classes. So many people these days are trying to do their own thing. And obviously, you and the other women and men that are going to these invitationals need to, but 99% of the rest of the people that train functional movements don't. What's your advice to those people? In terms of people that want to be just training functional movement period well i guess what i'm saying is there's people out there that train like they're a crossfit games athlete and they're not a crossfit games athlete and and i get frustrated because yeah the fun isn't going to class and if you want to do this for the next 60 years if you want to be working out and drinking wine when you're 80 you can't be <laughs> training you can't be training like i mean you're very yeah ladies and men that go to the games respect and you guys have to do the, that for eight hours but i'm talking about the everyday person that thinks they're a competitor i think and i think that's it's tough because i do i'm a huge advocate i mean when, even when i first started i was a huge advocate of classes in the community because the community is going to bring you together and i think it's tough because i think you see the games you see now these sanctional events before it was regional now you see the sanctional events it's like oh i want to compete i want to compete and i think I think people will go through kind of waves within their time at the gym. Like maybe the first year they're like super excited and learning everything. And then the second year, oh, I want to compete. I want to be a high level athlete. And then maybe after third or fourth, fifth, even sixth year, they're like, all right, I'm done with that. I, I just want to go back to classes. And I think 
I mean, you can be training multiple hours, but it's like, is your goal to get to the games? And it's like, if it is to get to the games, you have to sacrifice a lot of X, Y, and Z, whatever that is, that's different for each person. And you need to focus all on that. Is it realistic? I'm not the one, I'm not the one to say no to you because I was the person being told like, oh yeah, sure. You're going to get to the games and, and then kind of push to the side. Cause it's like, no, you're not actually going to get there. I was in that spot where it's like, I was kind of a crazy lunatic, like, oh, you seem a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Margo. Like, you're really going to get there? But it's like, in my mind, I was set. So I'm never one to tell someone no, but you have to be really realistic and like what your aspiration is, what your goal is, and then work backwards for that goal. If you're working a full-time job and you're like, I'm going to go to the games and I really want it. It's like, well, yeah, so does someone that's going to be working a part-time job that can spend four to six hours in the gym each day. So for those people out there, it's like, I think you need to be really realistic with what you're training. If you want to look good and you want to feel good, you want to have fitness, like, so you can run away from someone catching you, or you can have the ability to run three miles and not feel like you're dying. I think classes and maybe a little extra work might be good, but if you go to CrossFit or you go to a class for five to six days, I mean, it doesn't even have to be CrossFit. It could be higher level training. It could be something where you're physically active off your butt and you're doing that five to six, seven days a week. I think that's going to be sufficient for you. It's not going to allow you to get to the games because you're going to need a lot more to get there. But I think it's really important for people to understand. It's like, understand your goal and then work backwards from that. Like, can you be be accountable to that goal? Can you make sure you're working towards that goal and you're hitting hours in the gym or the certain goals? Because it's like, if you tell, you tell me, all right, I want to get to the games, but I can't do this, this, and this. And it's like, all right, well, you may not be able to get there. And I will say there's an asterisk just because it is this new year, new year is different. So we're having a lot of athletes come from different countries and different backgrounds where I don't necessarily know, or we don't know the level of fitness. So right. it could be wrong in saying that. But again, if you're looking to be at the top and compete with other athletes at the top, it's like, you need to be able to hit X numbers or X times with workouts. And again, you have to be realistic with yourself. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. also you have to, just because, I mean, that's great advice. And just because you make it your goal, you still, like you said at the end, you have to be realistic. I mean, mm-hmm. genetics, your previous training, your age, all that stuff. It's like, I'm five foot three. If I would have wrote down when I was 12 years old to be a basketball player, it wouldn't have mattered how many yeah. jump shots I took. <laughs> you know, and I think even like you said, despite the change to the games, I think there's a rule that you can't relocate to be in like, you know, Ghana, or I don't that might not be even small. And I don't know enough, <laughs> but, you, but you know what I mean? So you yeah. know, those guys are going to come from there because probably we're talking about, you know, Americans and Canadians and Europeans and in, in that yeah. kind of topic there, you know, but you mentioned also how much time do you have, you know, last year at the mm-hmm. games, there was 40 men, 40 women of those 80. How many do you think they literally, cause you're an anomaly. I mean, you're out there driving yeah. grapes across the country and, you know, do, doing other, some other stuff. How many of those people do you think were training full time? Like, I don't have to do anything else for my paycheck type of work. I, I mean, I would say majority of athletes, that's, that was their full time job. I mean, maybe some people coached at the gym, but I don't think there was very few athletes out there that had a full time job. And I know there's a few exceptions. I believe Pat Vellner was going to school full time as like a chiropractor for chiropractic school. So there, I believe there's some handful out there. I mean, myself trying to running a business, starting a business and running it full time while also competing, it's tough because things start to slip to the cracks. Um, I mean, for me personally, it's like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm training the gym. And then I'm thinking, okay, I need to do these inventory for the wine or I need to put these orders in. And it's like, then your mind's not in it. And so if you want to be an athlete, that's, you know, competitive at a high level, it's all your eggs are in that basket. I mean, especially now, if you look at the level of athletes now, like what was leading up to it, 
I mean, leading up to regionals last year, Alex and I went up to Utah for like three, three and a half weeks. And we just focused on training and training and training. And obviously we did whatever business work we needed to do like over the phone or all the emails. Um, but it's like, it was full on focusing for regionals and that's what you needed to do at that point. Um, and again, if you look at the athletes, like you said, from 2018, how many of those athletes were working full-time minimal. And I, I, I'm trying to think the year that Alicia Boone, um, qualified from Australia, her most recent qualification, I believe she was still working a full-time position. Um, and I think that was in 2016. So it's like, even working a full-time position, like she qualified like awesome props to her. Cause it's like, takes a lot of talent, but also hard work to be able to manage that and training. And I know like some of her stories on like social media, like Instagram, she'd be at the gym to like 11 or 12 at night. And it's like, girl, props to you. You're, you're making it happen. But it's again, how many people can realistically do that day in, day out over the months, over the years, et cetera. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the games is only getting harder and harder. Well, again, we'll see, but assuming yeah. it moves in the same trajectory, this is a full-time, I was talking to somebody about it and a couple of weeks ago, and we were saying it's just so cool that in our lifetime we saw the development of a new sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 100%. A, it's that, and also spike balls on ESPN every so often. Now. <laughs> and so, that's mind blowing. It's you yeah. know what? I've never played, but I was fascinated watching it. Yeah, yeah, I've never played either, but to hear about that it's at that level, it's like, I mean, take um the esports for example, like the right. all the like the World of Warcraft and all that stuff, like. It's mind blowing the amount of money, the amount of prize money that's in there. I mean, it's like a hundred million dollars to it's, win like first place. It's like yeah. what? It's more well, than again, all of your sports combined. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? It's crazy. They they drink a lot of wine. You might want to think of a sponsor. Sure, I might have to tap into those. Yeah, <laughs> definitely tap into those uh, individuals, those athletes. So, one more question on this competitive athlete: If somebody is coming in and you're like wow this this woman this guy they are pretty good and or they're listening right now and they're like okay i get it i'm in what's one piece of advice they should ignore one piece of advice they should ignore um that's gonna that's gonna come to you right away like i think no matter what your background is obviously if you were a gymnast before coming into crossfit you have a huge advantage of like body awareness body movement um, that body awareness as a gymnast, I think transfers over to weightlifting to be able to pick that up. But I think something that people think like, Oh, I'm just going to pick it up and be able to run with it. Like there might be a handful of two individuals like that, but I think the biggest thing to remember and focus on is like to be patient and to put in the hours and the work. And I think a lot of people, again, like with all the changes, it's hard to know like what the future is going to hold. But I think the biggest thing is to remember like what your goal is and be accountable to that goal. And like, look back each day, each week, each month, like, are you doing enough? Are you being patient? Are you, are you enjoying the process? Cause I think a lot of people get so caught up on that end process. Like, Oh, I want to make X number. or I want to get to that specific lift or this two minute sub two minute friend. It's like, that's great. But like, are you enjoying the process from day one to end day, whatever that end day is, whether it's a month, a year, two years, three years. And I think a lot of people get so caught up on the end goal. It's like, you're going to spend more time in that journey from like day two to day 99, for example, you're spending more time there than you are actually at the end goal. So I think remembering the process, uh, enjoying what you're doing um, and take some time to like be, remember, remind yourself to be patient um, within that process, I think it's really important. So like 
and it's tough because I know you asked like, what's something to ignore, but I think that's more like, what's something to remember? Because I think our, our minds do a lot better job of focusing on something positive or something to look forward to versus like, don't do this or don't do that. Because our body and our mind is going to like take away the don't and then it's like, just go really faster. I'm not going to enjoy the journey. It's like, no, enjoy the process. Think of a positive spin. So I, I would say that'd be the biggest kind of takeaway with that. You know, that's, that's huge advice because in CrossFit, everybody wants the results yesterday. And yep. whether it's, you know, just putting in too much volume too quick, too soon, it's like that they see you guys and they're like, well, I want to be there. You were able to sustain your training when you went to the games six years in a row. Yeah. Well, has that taken any toll on you? A lot of the guys that I've spoken to are like beat up. Like I would use the word broken. Like, you know, Austin Maliolo, he's like broken yeah. at this point. How, how have the women fared? I think, I mean, from those that I've spoke to and have conversations with, I think they've seemed done pretty well, relatively well. And I know there are some studies out there saying, you know, like women can handle more volume than men. I don't know how accurate or how in-depth those were researched, so I can't speak to that. But I, for myself, I know, I think women, and again, I'm not sure, I can't because I haven't spoke to everyone out there, but I think women tended to maybe do a little bit more mobility or prehab or rehab work to stay healthy. Um, I think maybe athletes that have gone through surgeries, uh, I don't know, I've talked to Dan Bailey about this, like you go through surgeries, you need to make sure that you're rehabbing your knee or shoulder, whatever it is you might need to do to prevent that. And that's something that I've implemented from the beginning. I made sure to do enough like mobility and yoga and stretching um, to kind of keep those things at bay. But I think the amount of volume that our bodies can attend to or, or adapt to is high. Our bodies can do a lot more. But I think if you don't do anything for recovery, like getting enough sleep, eating enough food, your body's going to slowly be able to kind of break down and it'll become a little more fragile and brittle. Not in the sense like a broken bone, but it's like you're doing a lot of training. And if you're not doing enough like prehab work, whether it's back or shoulder, then at some point your body is going to kind of get that breaking signal. And I think our bodies are able to handle a good amount of stress in the sense of like, all right, you're lifting or you're doing gymnastics, you're pulling, doing multiple pull-ups. But at the point where your body starts to give you a signal, it's like, hey, oh, my wrist starts to bug. It's probably, that isn't the first sign of some stress or some disarray to the body. I think it's a point where your body's like, hey, man, whatever you're doing, you need to do something to fix this or correct it because it's not going to keep lasting, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think what you're saying is women are smarter. And, you know, that's <laughs> Maybe, just kidding. <laughs> you know, one thing I did notice in the beginning, not in the beginning, but, you know, maybe like seven, eight years ago when it came to training was a lot of the men had more of an athletic background prior to CrossFit, you know, so mm -hmm. whether it was division one athletes, some even professional. So maybe because the women hadn't beat their bodies up so badly for that additional decade of Time. training. Yeah, totally. That, that could have been something, but now we're seeing, I mean, these teenage girls are, are fitter than I am. So, yeah. I mean, they were, these kids, I, I was talking about it again the other day and I said, these kids are like, I used to train for my sport. Like I, tr mm -hmm. I only went to the gym to be better at wrestling where yeah. now they go to the gym because that's their sport. It's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty surreal to see. It, yeah. It's definitely changing. I think if you look at like younger kids, like think of like a language, for example, like when kids learn a language, if they're learning it at a younger age, they're more than likely to pick it up faster than say in a young adult, like someone in their twenties, early twenties, mid twenties. And so I think kids coming into the sport or into CrossFit they're able to pick up on movements really well. I mean, 
even look at little kids in gymnastics, I'm like watching them. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I was doing that when I was at that age. But I think there's two things to look at. One, they're able to adapt and kind of pull things and learn things a little quicker. Um, but I agree with that point where like, whether it's men or women or young kids or young adults, it's like the amount of time that they may be spent as a gymnast or as a swimmer, their body has a little bit more time under that sport. So it's like that might've led to X, Y, Z happening earlier for a man or woman or whatever. And I think, I just think of a gymnast, like you spend 10 years on your hands, of course, you're going to pick up handstand walking and CrossFit because you spent 10 years in your life versus something that came in new to CrossFit that maybe spent no time on their hands. Um, and I think same thing with someone, maybe that was a baseball player that has so many rotations or was a pitcher, like so many throws of the arm. Of course, they might have a hard time doing overhead squats because their shoulders are just fatigued and tired and maybe wrecked to shreds because of all the reps per se that they did for being a pitcher or whatever. Um, so I think there's multiple things to look at that is versus just looking at like it straight face, like, all right, what's right in front of me versus like, let's take a couple pages back or chapters back in your career, your life to see what you did beforehand to kind of give like an inside look to that person. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned pitching and it made me think about your sport. Uh, you know, in CrossFit, we primarily move linearly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of athletes have added more twisting and, you know, individual leg, individual arm movements. How did you get so good at driving that golf ball with that twisting motion? <laughs> yeah. So I used to golf for 10 years growing up uh, from about eight to 18. I did in junior high, high school. Um, I'd play every summer. And then um, in high school, I was I'm on a high school golf team. So it's like you're playing almost year round. Um, and, and it was just like something obviously I enjoyed. My, my dad did it. My sister played for a little bit. And so being involved with that was huge for my life. Uh, and I think obviously that 10 years of experience gave me the ability to transfer into long drive. The swing for long drive is a little different. Uh, I'm changing my stance. I'm changing my swing. The biggest thing I've noticed coming from like spending all that time in the gym, getting stronger, which is great. I love the power and the strength that I have. My rotational mobility in my upper body is a little limited compared to the golfers. Like how far back I can get my club is maybe a little bit shorter or a little bit less than athletes that maybe haven't done much strength training in the gym. And so for me, it's like now I need to work a little bit more on my rotational mobility. Because again, in CrossFit, you don't see much rotational movements or lateral movements. Um, so to supplement my training, I'm doing a little bit more unilateral, like individual leg arms, more twisting, med ball tosses, landmines, um, kettlebell swings or kettlebell twists where I'm rotating my torso. Uh, and obviously the 10 years of experience helps. But to get back into it, it's kind of like dusting off the cobwebs and making sure I'm refining it so that I'm able to get to the point where I can get that club and my arms a little bit further back so I can get it, hit it a little bit further. I think if you watch Happy Gilmore, he had some great form. <laughs> he had some good tips in there, yes, for sure. Load up, <laughs> load up on it. Um, what's, what's your goal drive? I mean, I've not played golf in a while, but I know a little bit. Yeah. What's your goal? What's the, like, what's the super standard? Super duper goal? Yeah, yeah well, um, it, it, so it depends on the course. My longest drive is 329 yards. 320, um, and you kept it in the fairway. Yeah, kept it in the fairway, like on the grid. And so they call in the long drive, they call it the grid. I have like two kind of anchor points left and right, and they're marked by flags. Are they, um, is it bigger than a standard fairway? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's about a fairway, but like they'll take maybe even like the rough, then they'll cut that down to like the regular size grid. Um, the most recent one that I did in Arizona, it was complete like short glass, short grass all the way, rolled all the way out. Um, it's more than a football field lengthwise. They have it up to 500 yards. Uh, I think 
one of the men, there's an event going on right now on, uh, on the East coast. And, um, one of the men hit it like 350 or sorry, 453 yards, which is a pretty long drive. The most distance for a woman is 413. Yeah. 413, um, by Phyllis Meddy. And so she, uh, won the action long drive last, uh, April in Arizona. And so my goal is to be able to get to that 400 plus yards for sure. I think it's definitely doable, but again, I need to work on obviously my swing, get a little more rotation and a lot of women and men in long drive hit uh, with a 48 inch shaft. So traditional shafts or most shafts are about 45, five. Um, so that two and a half extra inches gives you a little bit more length, obviously in the shaft, but also allows you to increase your club head speed by the time you bring this, the, the club down to hit the ball, which will add to yardage, increased yardage for that ball. So maybe 10, 20, 30 extra yards, which is huge because you're in a competition. It's like that one extra yard could be that winning shot. That's so, pretty yeah. impressive that the female long drive is within, you know, like seven or eight percent of that male long drive. Yeah. I mean, some of the events, like there's been women hitting further than men. It just depends on obviously the swing and how you hit a shot because in long drive you have in your set you have three minutes to hit eight balls as far as you can and it doesn't matter if you get them all on the grid you need at least one on the grid so out of your eight balls you need to have at least one hit on the field um and obviously the further you hit it the further distance you get um it all depends and they have a lot of qualifying divisions for the open division which is the men's division the women there are some but not as many as the men's my first experience, I thought I'd signed up for like the women's division at the first, uh, in all, like the, the first uh, competition of the year, which was in Yucca Valley, California. Quickly learned it was just the women's division, the men, but I was like, oh, heck, I'll just go anyways and get some experience. Uh, and that's where I hit my PR. So it was really cool. I was uh, a little nervous, but it was really exciting. So you, I mean, it's intergender, this sport. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. I mean, they have obviously like the men's and women's division, but like I signed up for the open and I was like sure I didn't I didn't know and I found out that I was like oh this is only for the guys but I was like they let me hit obviously so I was like this is cool um they have a master's division as well but it's like that allows you to have kind of each different like a uh, champion in each different division men women open or men women and uh masters what's yeah. the prize money like in a world's long drive what's the what's the best in the world so, getting? What, the the ones oh can you hear me so yeah, I gotcha. Okay, I cut up for a second. Um, so each individual event has prize money. This last one in Arizona, it was twelve thousand for first place for the women, and then it was twenty-four thousand for the men, or twenty-five thousand for the men. So the prize money obviously is a little higher in the men's division than the women's division, which if you look at CrossFit, it's obviously been like symmetrical or the same. So I'm hoping with more exposure and more women coming into long drive that we could uh even those prize monies out. Yeah, I mean I'm more impressed by the women i'd rather watch the women at this point yeah it's and there's i mean there's a good handful of women in there um the ladies i competed with i think it was myself and 15 others in arizona but obviously the guys there was like three days of guys like qualifiers to see who would make it to the final and for the women it's like all right women just come up and hit and you got so many days or so many um sets to hit so i think there'll be a huge i'm hoping there'll be more of an increase and more of a draw to bring women in there's so much potential um for women to come in and go and hit. And I think what's really cool with long drive is that, you know, people go play golf, you're spending a good four to five hours on the course. And it's like, oh, maybe I don't have four to five hours to go play on the course or hit balls, but I can go hit balls at the range for like an hour and just focus on my one swing. So I think there's a, there's a I think there'll be a big draw to long drive in the very up, near upcoming future. But you mentioned you want to add like 71 yards to your drive. Yeah. You're, you 
I mean, I understand you can improve your technique to some extent and get stronger, but you're already so strong. How do you increase your drive that far? I would, one is going to be getting a longer shaft, um, changing the angle of my club face too. Um, the biggest thing I'm noticing is a lot of women that are, and men that have these longer shafts are able to hit it further because of increased distance. So obviously it's not just going to happen like, cool, next weekend I'm going to hit a 400 yard drive. I mean, again, just like, oh, I want to sub two minute Fran. If you've never done kipping pull-ups before, it's going to be unrealistic. So I know it's going to take more time, uh, more practice. I think getting my increased range of motion and my rotation, being able to get back further with an added long, uh, longer shaft and maybe change the loft on my club as well. I think that will all contribute to factors and just being consistent and obviously getting a good bounce. Um, if you get a good bounce and it rolls really far, there's an additional 10, 20 yards right there too. Um, but I know I'll take some time. The finals of world long drive is end of August, beginning of September. So I have some time to obviously improve and get better, but it just, I have to spend more time in the course. So for reference though, you mentioned like 450 yards. How far can Tiger Woods drive a ball? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know his longest drive, but a lot of men on tour, I was actually watching uh, one of the championships yesterday. Their average drive is anywhere from like three to like 315, 320. So they're not necessarily hitting it further, but their accuracy is way more on point. Or on long drive, you might hit a really good one on the grid and then you might see some squirrely ones like might go super far left and like super far right. Um, so again, the I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm averaging anywhere from like 280 to 300 yards on my drives. And I would say that's pretty high up there to the tour average. But again, they're not necessarily focused on how far they can hit the ball. They're focused on, can I hit it on the, like on the fairway without hitting the sand traps, without hitting any trees. So I think, um, again, it might not be, it might be very comparable to the tour men and women on the LPGA or PGA. But again, like they have, they have a different goal in mind. Yeah, and I think that prize money may have steered them towards doing the Masters. Exactly. Tiger Woods is getting a little more than 24000 So uh, Yeah. And I, mean, I would say, oh, sorry, I cut you off, but I would say I think World Long Drive is relatively new compared to, like, golf. Um, they actually call it alternative golf uh, in terms of just regular golf because there's different rules. But I think, uh, I think over time and with more money and resources, I think it will grow. Um, it's obviously just getting momentum now but I think there's a lot of potential. Yeah. Like you said, it is enticing to me. My father's always trying to get me to golf with him. I'm like, dad, I don't want to be out there. I don't have anything to talk to you about for four hours, but you know, but I can go to the driving range with you and hit some balls. Totally. So, 100%. So, okay. So let me list the things that you're great at. CrossFit, wine, long drive, American Ninja. What are you not, what's something Margo is not good at? Uh, playing basketball <laughs> really yeah. I love volleyball and I can play volleyball but basketball for some reason I mean we all talk about like hand-eye coordination but it's not necessarily there for me for basketball all right so that would be a work in progress or work in improving that area <laughs> one last question what's totally what's one unusual habit that you have one unusual habit I have oh man does like anything related with like fitness or anything just random? Anything you want. Oh man, I don't think I've ever had that question. Unusual habit. Um, I don't know. That is a great question. I'm sure your husband can tell uh, you what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, honey, every time. Oh you my gosh. Do this, the garbage. 
Um, yeah, he probably, I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm super peculiar about certain things, like organizing things a certain way. Um, I used to, I guess it, this is something not so much now, but I kind of do it from time to time is like organizing my clothes by color, um, <laughs> like blues and then blacks and purples and then reds and yellows. That's like so random. But I remember the first time I actually had it pointed out to me, I think I was like 14. And my cousin was like, Margo, you organize all your clothes by color. And she was like dying. Like it was hilarious. I was like, what? And so then I ended up like reorganizing it all uh, like disorganized and it like bothered me and then I switched it back like the next day um so I guess that's something weird maybe many people don't know about me um yeah I can't I don't know about anything else I'd have to I understand I really think about that I you know I read yes. the magical art of tidying up throughout a lot of my t-shirts folded them differently yeah so I guess I, we just recently watched that like a couple weeks ago got rid yeah. of some stuff I was like yeah don't need that don't need that well, yeah, but I'm very organized type a like that do you think a lot of the games athletes are like that because they have to be in so much control of the yep. body. Totally. I think a lot of athletes, and this extends even, I think, beyond cro- like uh, the CrossFit games, but I think you look at like people that come into CrossFit or the people that come into boxes to train, a lot of them, I believe, are type A personalities that have a go-get-em attitude where it's like, I mean, obviously you look at us athletes at the top and obviously we need to know, like, make sure we're eating enough, sleeping enough, training, and you have a very regimented plan to be able to get our training in but i think like you know athletes that come in every day to the box where it's like people that come at, wake up at five or six in the morning to get to the gym like at that time of the morning you know like if it wasn't crossfit they'd be doing cycling or running or biking or something they'd be up there in the morning so i think that type a personality is very very present yeah you're you're right it's like the same people that would be super organized anywhere or organized yep. inside the box I always like to end with what's a book that you recommend people read? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I'm trying to think It could be a wine book. It could be a (laughs) book about wine. A book about wine. Um, That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I've I've been actually studying right now. I'm in the process of studying for like the intro uh, wine course for like to become a psalm. I'm not even close to where anywhere close to that but it's just the intro to wine class that I'm studying and so for those that are interested in learning about wine the guild psalm it's an online resource not a physical book but the guild psalm is something that's been really cool that I've been reading up about um and learning more about the wine and areas in France um and learning about Bordeaux and Burgundy so I think that's been really cool so for those that want to learn more about wine that are really intrigued by that um and it has a lot of history to offer not only about the grapes but also the type of soil and the climate and a little bit of history. And I'm really intrigued by history. Um, I wish I had more time to read more, um, but a lot of it is either online on my phone or website, or if anything I print out, I can physically go through it. But I think that'd be one of the, the most recent one that I've been looking at that I could recommend to people. I started a good handful of books, just haven't finished them. So those are work in progress books. Well, you're very busy in the gym, so I understand that. And yeah, I, I only knew how to spell Psalm because I watched the documentary on Netflix. Oh, nice. That one? It's cool, right? It's so it's impressive really cool. what these guys do. And one of my buddies is a bartender. He was telling me how they can distinguish dirt and where the wine comes from. Yep. It's a, is that something that's on your goal list one day? Um, I don't... <laughs> maybe we'll see I think I definitely want to learn more about it like there's a lot of a lot of steps before coming to master psalm um I think it'd be really intriguing to maybe get like my level one which is kind of like the first process just to learn a bit more about it I was like obviously I have a wine business 
Um, but the biggest thing that we've spent a lot of time in is the brand, and obviously not just about the wine, but the brand and the message um, that we're promoting. So I think it'd be really cool to be able to get my level one, uh, level one to kind of parallel that. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but that would be definitely where I have a lot more time to study, less time in the gym, maybe more time in the books. But I'm fine with that because I think, I think that's something that I've learned along the way. It's like you spend in your life, you go through many different chapters or different periods in your life. And I think there's an evolution um, and a change and like waves coming. And I think we all go through that at different points in our life. And I know at some point that wave will come for me to transition to something different. So, or transition in a different realm with, within wine or within a, that area. So we'll see. But yeah. Yeah. When you retire, that could be your, your next goal. And <laughs> exactly. Speaking of wine, one more time, where can people order the goat? Oh yes. It's the, the vineyard dot space. And then when you head to that website, there's a shop button that has wine fleas and you can get the goat there. Hopefully we're working on distribution so we can eventually get it into the East coast and have it in liquor stores or restaurants or um, locations over there. So we'll keep you guys posted on social media about that for sure. And very cool. Where is it? You have social media for you and social media for the vineyard as well, correct? Yes, yeah, so we have the goat wine, which is on Instagram, the goat wine. And then uh, mine is uh, 321 go G-A-U-X. You know, speaking of that, you got hacked, what, like a year ago? Yeah, it was almost a year ago. Yeah. And that was, oh man, such a, excuse my language, shit show. But um, I luckily, I was able to actually, side story, but I was able to get onto one of my other accounts because we obviously have the goat wine and we have the vine across it. Um, but we were able to get onto my other account and actually message my my account. And the guy, he called himself like Tiki Tilkson. And he was like, yes, it is me. I am the one who hacked your account. And he was just like, I'll give you your account back. Like, Here's the password. He's like, I just want you to keep like my name. He was like, it would have been like three, two, one Fox Go to know that he took my account. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Anyways, I luckily had uh, some support and some friends that were within uh, companies that they were able to make message requests to Facebook and and uh, and Instagram. And eventually I got my account back, but it was, I'd lost like two years of like photos and stories and he just would keep deleting stuff. And so it was, it's tough because I know people say, oh, it's just social media, but it's tough because these days social media is your business. We don't have a physical retail shop right now for us. Uh, eventually we'd like to get a place where we can have a retail shop for the wine, but Instagram and Facebook and social media is our platform and is our way to sell and promote and share a message. And so for how to have like two years of footage and photos and stories out there erased, it's like, you can't just like overnight, like push a button and replenish that. So that was really frustrating. And that aspect is like, people don't see them the, the value and the worth of like time because time is something you can't get back. Like I can post more photos and more videos and share my message over and over and over, but that time is something you can't get back. So I think that was something that was very, uh, very frustrating. But again, like in the bigger picture, like obviously I got my account back and able to rebuild and do what I need to do for the company, my brand and just myself. And so I think it's really a learning lesson for myself and anyone I've had multiple people recently say, Hey, like my account got hacked too, you know, what can I do? And I'm like, message them as much as you can get people to report them. Um, cause the more people that report that account of that person being hacked, the more they think they'll take it as, um, not like it's not that they don't take it seriously, but they have more reasons to maybe take action to that. So yeah, that, unfortunate. That's so strange that he hacks in and just starts deleting things. Yeah. And I think, so I actually talked to, um, this girl, Cecile, she lives in France. That happened to her. I think she had like over 300,000 followers. And I guess what they do is it's a huge thing in Turkey where they'll actually get, you know, they'll hack your account. They'll take your, like your following, they'll delete all the content, change the name, and then they'll take that account and they'll use it to try to sell like 
like sunglasses or promotional things like, oh, look how many followers I have. It's like, yeah, but you didn't get that organically or through time. And so they think they'll use it as kind of like a token, like, oh, look what I did. I, I hacked this person's account and then I hacked this person's account. And it's kind of like charms, I guess they collect. And like when I talked to her, she was livid because it was like a process for her. Um, but it's like, it, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but it's like for them, that's like their focus or their, I guess their goal is to hack people's accounts and then be able to take those accounts and use them for selling materials or selling t-shirts or sunglasses or whatever. Well, some people's goals are to hack accounts, some to drive the ball 400 meters. <laughs> I guess, you know, we're all different, but that's true. I, you know, I just wanted to say, I didn't say it in your introduction, but as long as I've known you, you've always been one of the most you know, nicest and down to earth people, always oh, smiling, you. you know, whether it. you're on a marathon row or <laughs> randomly running into each other. So it's been really totally. great chatting with you and I I'm will, I'm going to, well. I'm going to up my wine game and I'm going to yes. drink goat wine from now on. None of my, <laughs> none of my, um, what do they call like redfish or whatever the, <laughs> the other wines. <laughs> yeah. The other wines. Are. So thank oh, you very that's much, awesome. Margo. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers, tell everybody at the box to listen to best hour of their day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.